Well, most of you guys know that I grew up a preacher's kid. I've got two younger brothers, and it's clear I'm the smartest of the three. There's no question. Um, but uh, yes, humble as well, somebody said. Leighton over there. Thank you, Leighton, one of our shepherds. My dad has been preaching for over 55 years. He still is uh, preaching at a small place just outside of where he lives in Arkansas. Uh, but back in the day in the 60s and 70s when I was just a little boy and my brothers, you know, we were, we were taken all over the place because he was a preacher, but he also did the gospel meeting thing. Any of you guys remember the gospel meetings? Raise your hand if you remember those days. Yeah, the, the tent revivals and just, the, it could, could be a three-day event. It could be a five-day event. Um, but I remember this one particular moment in time. We were, uh, they were starting a new church. They asked my dad to come hold the gospel meeting. And this particular evening, it was Wednesday night. They knew that there was a baptism after the, the meeting. And uh, Loretta Lynn had never seen a baptism. And so she showed up and sat on the front row and then wanted to witness what a baptism actually looked like. But this was a new startup church, and there was about 75 seats in this kind of storefront area, uh, standing room only that night. And, uh, you know, uh, us three boys, dad's will was that we always looked nice, that we were clean, that we were well-behaved. And most of the time, that never came to fruition. The, the behavior part, I'm certain, was because as preacher's kids, we had to play with the elder's kids, and that's why we were bad. <laughs> the example they set... But this particular night, uh, I, my, me and uh, my youngest brother, Chris, were sitting on either side of my mom in the audience. And there was the middle brother, Wit, who we've always wondered about him. Maybe he's adopted. We're not sure. But he's not. Uh, but there was a day bed at the front of the, the space. And um, so my dad decided to sit him on the day bed while he's preaching. Well, as my dad gets into the gospel lesson and he's going to town as, as they did back in the day, and he noticed that the gaze of the congregation suddenly all kind of shifted toward the corner of the room up front. And he stopped long enough to take a look over at my little brother who was doing somersaults on the daybed while my dad is preaching. Needless to say, that was not my dad's will for the evening. I mean, that was kind of an embarrassing moment for him, no doubt. But you know, sometimes that's how it is in our life too, isn't it? I mean, we have a certain idea of what we want to do, and our will sometimes doesn't play out into what God's will is for us in our life. And today we want to kind of unpack what God's will looks like for us in our life. We're going to do some overarching kind of, kind of long-range, big ideas, but then come down to some practical ideas of how to make that happen in our life. How do we live into God's will for each of us? And we have an idea of what that might look like for us individually, but also as a congregation as we celebrate 10 years here in this location today. And we hope you'll come back tonight and be a part of that celebration uh, as, as well. Because God does have a plan for your life and for my life too. And so it's fair to say, to ask the question, so what is it? God, what is it that you want me to do in my life? What specifically have you outlined for me? And Paul reminds us that we're not to take that flippantly. It's, it's a lifelong process for all of us, it's never an overnight success kind of thing. My personality is, uh, I, I'm, I call myself the king of the post-it notes. I like writing stuff down and kind of marking it off when I get it done. And for God's will in your life, it will almost never be like that. 
Because it's just this lifelong process that you're investigating, you're discovering, you're living into how God's called you to live. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's understanding what God's will is for your life. And it's not something that we just kind of flippantly think about, but that we invest in every single day of our life, that we discover how God's called us to live. You know, some 70 times in the New Testament, the phrase God's will or the will of God is used. And almost every time that that phrase is used, one of two different large goals that God has for me and you exist alongside that phrase. And the very first idea is, is going to be something you're going to go, oh yeah, sure, that makes sense. The question is though, do you and I live into that every day? I know sometimes I have a difficult time every day living into the vision God has for my life. But that first goal for me and you really is to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. You see, God wants to take our life and he wants to shape us, to mold us, to refine us into the person that his son looks like. We're called to live this holy, set-apart lifestyle, different from what the world has. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we're new creations, new creatures, because God in Jesus Christ is chipping away the old Tim so that the new one emerges. And in Christ, that's how we're called to live, is to look like him more and more every day. Now, we will never, ever be absolutely perfect. But the more we discover how Jesus lives and how he lived, the more we'll understand how we're called to live. And that's unpacked for us in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the front end of the New Testament, we watch and we read how Jesus lived life, how he interacted with creation and mankind, and we discover how we're called to live. And the more we try to look like Jesus, the less and less it will sin on a daily basis. Now, this is not about legalism. It's not about rule following. It's not about being good enough for God. It's not doing enough stuff so that we don't look bad anymore. It's not about that kind of hard work. Matter of fact, our prayer really should be every day at the very end of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 20. The writer says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. And that's our prayer church is that God would equip us every single day with discovering what his will is for us in our life with the overarching, one of those overarching moments is that we be like his son, Jesus. And God's will refines us and fine tunes us, molds us into the image of Jesus. And sometimes that can be a painful process. As God is chipping away the, the bad habits that we have, the decisions that we've made is he chips that away so that his son can be more and more revealed. Sometimes that can be a painful process. But I am certain that God uses truth in your life. He uses pain in your life, the circumstances in your life to help you see what his will is in life. And again, this doesn't happen overnight. It's a lifelong process. So settle in. How many of you have ever been to the hospital when a couple had their first child. Raise your hand. If you've went to visit friends or family, maybe someone from this congregation. 
Now, I've been at this for over 30 years. It's kind of interesting. I don't say this out loud, of course, but (laughs) when you walk into the room, if it's the first child and if it's a boy, almost always, once I'm holding that baby and I'm just kind of getting to know him, looking at him, congratulating the couple, the dad always says, who does he look like, Tim? Who does he look like? (laughs) The kid might be six hours old. He looks like Winston Churchill. I would never say that. I would never say that. But you know, you bring that kiddo home and then he gets involved in the kid's ministry and you see him maybe hunting Easter eggs one Sunday or he's, he's involved in the kid's Christmas choir. He ends up playing baseball and so you go to a couple games to support him. Then he gets to be a part of the youth group and he goes on some mission trips and, and he's at summer camp and eventually he turns 18, he's gonna graduate from high school. You get invited to the graduation party. And so you go and you're talking to, to mom and dad, but you see him across the room and he's talking to his friends and he's, he's holding his cake and he's got this stance and he's laughing out loud. And in that moment, as you look at him, you go, spit an image of his dad right there. And, and that's how we operate as we come to know who Jesus is in our life. It's not an overnight thing. It's, it's a process that you and I go through. Our father wants us to look like his son, Jesus Christ. As we look at the life of Jesus, we discover what it means to be an encouragement to folks who are kind of down and out. We discover what it means to give hope to the hopeless. We exercise patience with those people who try our patience in our life. We show those around us what love and forgiveness looks like even when they don't necessarily deserve it because we want to look like Jesus, God's son. And following Jesus is risky business. You know, too many times we like to pretty up the cross and make it nice and clean, and, and that's not what the cross looks like at all. It's an adventure to follow Jesus Christ. It always has been. And there are so many times that we try to keep it clean and kind of keep it pretty and kind of stay protected. I know that we've got a member of our own congregation who a few weeks ago went to Poland to help with some of the refugees that were coming out of Ukraine. And when school is over, she's going to go back for a period of time to help with that process. Following Jesus, looking like him, is risky business. I remember for about 10 years when I was in youth ministry, taking my kids to inner city Memphis, an area called Orange Mound. Kids had to pay to go on this event. And helping older couples who could not afford to fix their house, we would put a new fresh coat of paint on there, fix the porch, whatever we needed to do. Kids trying to look like Jesus. Following Jesus is risky business. Some of you have ministry on your hearts. You've got a passion for something. You've been sitting on it for about two years because you're thinking this is going to take some time. It's going to take some resources. I might be the only one when we start out. And it's scary sometimes to follow Jesus. Following him is risky business, but... God's will in our lives is that we look more and more like Jesus each and every day. That's what he calls us to. The second goal that's overarching too is that God wants us to be with Jesus for all eternity. His will is for us to take Jesus on in baptism, to begin looking more like him each and every day, and to bring as many people with us as we possibly can, sharing with them the hope that we have in this risen Savior. 
But for some of us, we, we're waiting on that direct email from God to tell us exactly what we need to be doing or that social media invite. We want clarity. We want it to be exactly what I should be doing rather than just doing what we should in our life to look more like Jesus. Many of us have heard of the, the great lady, uh, Mother Teresa, who did some incredible work in India And she didn't always know exactly if what she was doing was what she should be doing. One of her quotes is, I never had clarity from God. I just had to trust in God. So for some of us, we might be waiting, just waiting for that one specific, clear, direct thing when in fact God just wants us to get involved in a story, to look more like his son, Jesus. We, We want God to fit in our little box of predictability rather than just saying, God, show me what you want to do. And while I may be a little anxious and afraid in the moment, I will do what you've called me to do. Following God is an adventure. Last summer, Robin and I went for the first time to Yellowstone National Park. Had a great time while we were there. We saw the Tetons and some other areas. Beautiful landscape. I mean, it's just gorgeous. If you haven't been, you need to try to go. But... We had some adventure while we were there. One particular day, we we took the ferry on Jenny Lake across to the other side with several other people, and we were kind of out in the mountains and kind of hiking around, looking at the trails, and it finally came time to go home. And the the trail kind of curved around uh, down to the dock where the ferry kind of pulls up, and there were a whole lot of people on the trail. And we had made our way up to about the apex of that trail where it turns to go back down. There was another trail that came right into the apex of that trail. And Robin says, this is maybe the the most scared that she's ever seen Tim Hall. I've watched one too many movies. This is true. But coming up the trail is a mama bear and two cubs. And I got as many children in front of me as I could. (laughs) Half of the line went right down to the dock, which left me and Robin on the very front end of the other line. We were backing up and nobody would let us back up. Eventually, mama bear went up into the mountains and didn't cause any harm. But sometimes it's like that in our daily life with with Jesus Christ, isn't it? It can be a little scary. It's an adventure. You you jump out there and you take the risk for the cause of Christ because we've been called not only to look like Jesus, but we want to be with him one day. And in order to better see how that unfolds in your life and my life, there are some practical ways that we can do that. The first idea that comes to mind is in the book of Judges, there's a guy named Gideon who God has called into service. Now, I have done what Gideon's done one too many times. But Gideon is reluctant. He doesn't want to do what God's called him to do. And so the way he does it, he says, I'll tell you what, God, I'm going to put a sheepskin outside my tent. And in the morning, if it's wet, but all the ground is dry, I'll know you're talking to me. Well, sure enough, he does that. And the very next morning, it is exactly like he hoped for. And he's going, oh boy, that's not what I was hoping for. So I tell you what, God, what we're going to do is tonight we'll do one more day, but this time make the sheepskin dry and all the ground wet. He wakes up the next day and it is just as it's supposed to be. He knows God's calling him into service. Setting out a sheepskin is not always the best way to determine God's will. And sometimes you, you pray for open doors and closed doors in your life, right? And you want that to be quite evident. I remember in 2008, I was... I felt like I would come, come to the end of my, my youth minister days. I was ready to start preaching, and I knew there was a church in North Texas that wanted a preacher, and so I submitted my resume there, and there was a church in Northwest Arkansas who were 
looking for a worship minister and an education minister. Submitted my resume over there, and it was in late fall, and they kind of drugged their feet, and I heard sparsely back from both congregations, but then it got into December to the holiday season. It's kind of hard to get things going in a church family during that holiday season time. But then we rolled into the first week of January, and I was still a youth minister, but on the board of directors for the National Conference on Youth Ministry, and I was the registration guy. So I went to the conference, and sure enough, there's a, a preacher that comes in, and he says, we're looking for a youth minister. And I said, man, you're in the right place. There are 350 of us here. You can find one here, I'm sure. We talked for a minute, and then he went on his way. But about an hour later, he circled back around to me, and he said, Tim, you said a couple of things that interested me. Would you be interested in talking to me for maybe 10 minutes? And I reluctantly said, okay, I will. We sat down and talked, and an hour and a half later, I was excited about the work in Kansas City. God had closed doors in two places to say, Tim, I'm not done training you and filling you in and teaching you what it means to work in the context of a church. I've got some more work for you to do. So how do we know individually? How do we know what God's will is for us in our life? There are two practical things that I'm gonna give you this morning that are so incredibly important to your discipleship, so incredibly important to you following and looking more like Jesus. Very important. Number one is read God's word. And you're gonna say, of course. But the question is, do you and I do that every single day? Do we dig into the word to discover, is God's will matching up with my will? Am I doing what I'm called to do as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because God's word will never contradict God's will. His word will never contradict his will. God's word is the blueprint for my life. And all along in my 30 years, I've had interesting conversations with folks who have a decision where they want to go do one thing, but they realize it really doesn't mesh, and they're trying to get to where those meet in the middle. Some interesting stories. For instance, maybe, maybe you're in the dating scene and you think you found Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Uh, you, you work at the same place. You like the same ice cream. I mean, you, you live in the same part of town, root for the same team, you're, you're, you're the same, same birthday. I mean, it seems like everything's fallen in place. I really get along with this person well. The only difference in the two of you is that you are a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And the person you think is Mr. or Mrs. Wright is marginal at best. They're, they're not sold out for Jesus. And so should I marry this person is the question. Is it God's will that I marry this person? Now, there's no question you could be married. But Jesus reminds us in text that things are going to be tough. Things are going to be difficult. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't team up with those who are, who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partnered with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And in those moments, we look at what our will wants, like my brother that, that evening at that prayer meeting time, didn't match up with the Father's will. God's word tells us how we're called to live life. And there are moments when you read into God's will and you discover, how do I save my marriage? How do I break these bad habits that I've got? How do I pursue righteousness in my own life? 
Unfortunately, I've had this conversation, not recently, but a husband comes to me and he says, you know, Tim, the last couple of years, my marriage hasn't been passionate at all. There's no fire. We come home from work, we have dinner, we sit on opposite ends of the couch, we watch TV, and that's really the extent of my love life. We just lost the passion. However, there, when I go to this one, one lady's desk in my office, there is electricity. I mean, God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? How, how does this how does this play out? What do you think I should do? And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as you have solemnly been warned. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. God's word, every single thing, spells out how we're called to live. Whether we're talking about money and resources, how to manage those, how to be a great parent, how to be a great kid to your parents, how to build relationships, what does it look like to use my giftedness and my talent set for the kingdom? I mean, every single facet of your life exists in our Bible, to tell you what God's will is for you in your life. Be in God's word. Read God's word every day. Secondly, listen to God's people. Listen to God's people. We do that best in this kind of context when we are together living life together. Now, I'm probably going to step on somebody's toes here for a minute. I have loved the fact that we have had technology prior to COVID. We've got an online campus that hits all kinds of places, different towns, different states, even across the ocean in different countries. People are watching us this morning, and we're so glad that you tuned in. Some of those folks have illnesses, and they can't get out of the house. But you know what? COVID has made some of us a little bit lazy. We've decided that it's just easier to stay home. And church, we're called to be together to live life together, to encourage each other on the journey. And we listen to each other best when we are in close proximity to each other. We are indeed better together. I've said it before, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Church, you are my friends and you're helping me be a better person each and every day. John Maxwell said it like this, your friends are kind of like buttons on an elevator. They'll either take you up or take you down. I'd rather you take me up. Craig Rochelle says, often the difference between where I am and where God wants me to be is the pain I'm unwilling to endure. So instead of leaning into the wisdom of scripture, instead of listening to the Holy Spirit in our life or listening to God's people around me, we listen to the, the whispers of our enemy, Satan, who tells us that we're not good enough. Don't read that ancient document called the Bible. No one else really knows your situation. Don't take advice from them. But God wants us to take on the mind of Christ. He wants us to capture every thought and hold it captive for Christ. And when we make a decision to live that kind of life, we have more clarity for what God's will is for us in our life. One of my favorite texts is Romans chapter 12. I love the whole book. It's really 
meaty and important. But Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do we let God transform us while being in his word, connected to the Holy Spirit through his people and our gathering time together? And the secret is there are actually two parts to make this work appropriately, and it's understanding the role of both people. You see, God's part is transformation. God's part in your story is allowing him to process you and make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. That word in verse 2, transformation, the original Greek word there is metamorphe. We transliterate it into English, metamorphosis. And the best illustration of that, as you probably well know, is the idea of the butterfly. The caterpillar kind of creeps along and he's eating leaves and pretty soon a chrysalis forms and then out of that chrysalis comes this beautiful butterfly. He just surrenders to the process that God's created for him. And that's what God wants us to do in our lives as we submit to him and his will. As we see exactly what's going on. Because our role in the process is surrender. It's surrendering to who God has called us to be. Understanding that overarchingly, he wants us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ, and he wants us to eventually to live with Jesus, his son. And we can do that by surrounding ourselves with voices who are on the same journey together and being in God's word. Surrender to the process. How many of you have ever played paintball? Raise your hand. Okay, more in second service, first service, not so much. <laughs> I don't know why. When I first started youth ministry, I've been on so many paintball outings, and it's a lot of fun. It can be painful, but it's fun when you're hitting somebody else with the paintballs. And I remember this one point, Brandon and I had kind of faced off against each other. Brandon was behind this row of tires, and I was behind a tree, and we were shooting our paintballs at each other. There's a moment when you're playing paintball when you can hear the gun jam, and you've got about three seconds to get to that guy who's shooting at you because he can't shoot at you. He's trying to fix the gun. And so sure enough, I heard Brandon's gun jam, and I ran from behind the tree, dove over the, the tires, whole the time had my gun pointed straight at him. He was laying on the ground, threw his gun as far away from it as he could. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Please don't shoot me. It's going to hurt. Yes. But you know, that's kind of the, the spirit that we need to have in the process with God. No longer my will, but God, your will. I surrender to you. Tell me what I'm supposed to do in my life. And if you want to know the will of God, you're going to have to surrender yourself to God and his will. The, uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2 that this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You and I have to make a decision. If we want to know God's will, we've got to make a decision to be a part of his plan, a part of his story, which means that we've got to be found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus makes that very plain as the apostle John writes in his, in his gospel in John chapter 15. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. If you've got your own Bible, you need to highlight, circle, underline that verse so important in your discipleship. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And 11 times in 11 verses in that particular text, Jesus says, remain in me. Another version says, abide in me. Jesus is calling us, you want to know the will of God, then you've got to be found in me. I've got to be part of your life. And so overarching, what does God want for my life? He wants me to look more like his son, Jesus Christ, so that eventually I can live with Jesus Christ. And we best do that when we decide to journey together in close proximity to each other, but also to dig into the word of God to see how we're called to live. Jesus says, remain in me. And there may be some of you here this morning that have never said yes to Jesus. Today's the day you should do that. Because it's only in Jesus Christ that you're ever going to find hope in this dark world. It's only in Jesus that you're ever going to find forgiveness for the guilt you feel. It's only in Jesus that you're going to find true happiness and joy in your life. And so Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's wanting to give you life and life into the full. And maybe, maybe at some time you said yes to Jesus and there's some obstacles in your way from truly embracing God's will in your life. As we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And I want you to go find one of those couples and let them pray for you and over you. That you would not have that anxious spirit. That whatever is hindering you from fully embracing the will of God, you'd be able to let go of so that you can move forward in God's story. So church, right now, let's stand with one voice and praise God's holy name.